Welcome to episode 25 of the bonus series of the Geared for Growth Property Investing Podcast, where we talk to the experts and get them to share their top tips in how to exceed in this property investing game. I'm your host, Mike Mortlock, and I'm excited to be with you again. If you love the show, please click on the subscribe button so you never miss another episode. Today I'm joined again by one of our favourites, Lisa Parker. Lisa's been with us twice before, most recently to talk about how to spot a property spruker. Today we're following up on that topic with a discussion of what to be aware of if you're thinking about buying off the plan. As a buyer's advocate with more than 18 years experience helping her clients achieve sustainable wealth through property investment, Lisa's seen her share of purchases off the plan. Despite what you might read in the paper, buying a new development is not always bad, but you do have to know what you're doing. Luckily for us, Lisa has it covered and is joining us today to talk through the pros and cons of this type of investment. Welcome back, Lisa. Lisa Parker, thank you for joining me back on the Geared for Growth Property Investing Podcast. It's always great to be here. Thanks for having me, Mike. This is your third start and I would encourage anyone to go back and listen to your previous episodes. We did the full sort of deep dive onto Lisa Parker in episode 73 and you came back in this bonus series with the the cautionary tale of how to spot a spruker. And we're going a bit cautionary today where we're talking about buying off the plan. Now, um, whether you should or shouldn't buy off the plan is perhaps a whole nother episode, but we can agree that there are times where it's the right fit for the investor or the owner-occupier, not all off the plan, uh, uh, you know, high-density places which are in a current affair for losing you a hundred grand. But there are some things that you need to know about if you are buying off the plan. What are some of the, the key things that you think people should be aware of? Mm. There are a few, Mike, and I think um, probably to do this justice, we should probably identify the different types of properties that you can purchase off the plan because they all come with different risks and the, the, the degree of risk is different for each category. So the first category is the obvious one, which, is you, which you have already mentioned, which is the high-density, um, large-scale apartment blocks where there's 200 or 300 in one apartment block or 100, and they may even have different stages of the development where there will be up to three or five towers that are built. So for people who are in Melbourne, You'd be thinking Docklands, the large apartment blocks that have gone up in South Yarra, for example, um, and in Sydney, Mike, if you've got a reference for Sydney. Uh, Zetland for is probably a good one or even Parramatta, which is rapidly expanding. And then we go to a smaller scale off the plan, which would be a what we refer to in Melbourne as a boutique block of apartments of say 45 apartments that might be um, you know two to four stories high and it's much smaller scale and they're usually found in premium areas such as Malvern for example or Paran, um, Glen Iris, places like that which <clears throat> are more boutique and they don't have the zoning for the larger scale high-rise apartments so that's a different type of off the plan. And then we move to off the plan being, you know, a townhouse or a house that has been uh, where there's a few on a block. Um, so there might be a townhouse development of uh, two townhouses or maybe even up to 12 townhouses. And um, or you might have a house that's just being built out the back of an existing home, which is a really small scale development. We call them two packs. If there's two, four packs, if there's four, 
And so each um, category come with their own risks. So if we look at the smallest scale development, which would be your two pack to say four pack of townhouses or, ha or homes, then <clears throat> the risk is significantly less than one of the larger scale developments. Yep. And one of the reasons for that is simply the time that it takes to produce such a product and also the capital outlay from the developer as well as much less. Um, so the way that I look at it is that the longer something's going to, to take to complete, the higher the risks are for the person purchasing the property. And one of the biggest reasons for that is simply because of the timing of the market. If you were to purchase an off-the-plan property uh, whilst property prices are booming and then find yourself in the unfortunate position where the property market changes significantly and heads into a retraction or a downward moving market, then by the time you settle on the property, there could be a difference of 5 to 15 or 20% in value mm. um, off that brand new property from the time that you've purchased it through to the time that you've settled on the property. And that's one of the biggest risk factors I think people need to be aware of when purchasing a property. And of course, it can work in reverse where people have purchased in a moving market and the property has settled within six months and there's already been an equity gain. So, of course, it can happen in reverse. However, we're talking about the risks, so we're highlighting that aspect of mm. such a such a uh, acquisition. And probably not necessarily a sensible strategy to be chasing these places that you think you can put a deposit down and, you know, make equity gains um, by the time that it settles certainly can be done but it's a bit of a bit of a risky approach you you raise some some good points about the differences of the developments obviously with these high density high rise properties you've you've got this this issue of potential supply coming onto the market as well right because if you can build mm. you know 30 stories on one particular block of land the chances are that the, the block next door you could do the same thing as well what other things do you think uh, could could lead to a situation where people are actually having a bit of a shortfall because that's something that happens with this high rise off the plan stuff as well where the valuations don't stack up right yeah, that it does happen um, often. It's not a rarity. It is something that is a genuine risk for um, people purchasing off the plan. Um, it's what we refer to as a valuation shortfall. And the first aspect of that, which you've already touched on, Mike, is the fact that when you can build these large-scale high-rise developments, um, they're usually um, zoned. So the council has allocated plots of land um, or sections of a suburb where they want to see those higher rise buildings built. And typically they will be in designated activity centres around the state or around the city that you're, that you're in. And they will typically be very, very close to amenities such as trains and shops. And so one thing to look at is the zoning. And if you can see that a whole section of, the, of that suburb is zoned for high scale density, then you can assume that a lot, of, a lot more um, towers are going to go up. So therefore you have a supply issue. You have too much supply of that particular product. And um, what happens then obviously when you've got a lot to choose from, the value of the asset decreases because there's too much 
to choose from. Yes. Whereas you want the reverse when you want to see property prices rise, you want demand to be high and supply to be low. Um, so that's one way that the valuation shortfalls come into it. And then the second way that the valuation shortfalls can occur is simply because the developer is selling a brand new product where he is taking all of the risk and he's paying for all of the infrastructure that needs to be built. And then he's also paying on sellers typically to sell um, the end product to consumers. Now, some residential towers in Australia are, are specifically sold overseas. So they'll have sales teams that will fly into various countries around the world and they will um, take a, a scale of the development and shiny brochures and they will sell it all off the plan or most of it off the plan to overseas and international purchases. Mm. Um, I've heard it happening in New Zealand, for example. I had a prospective client call me who'd purchased a property here in Melbourne that was presented to him at a seminar in New Zealand and this would be a perfect example where he paid me to actually do some independent consulting for him where I appraised the property that he had purchased. And going back to the first point, um, I was able to locate already completed properties that were identical in size, orientation. It was on exactly the same street and the same fixtures and fittings and almost identical floor plan um, I was able to find a completed product already available on the market for $200,000 less than oh. what he had paid for it on um, off the plan in New Zealand at a seminar. Ouch. And so what would happen in that instance is they go through to complete the property and in 18 months' time or two years' time when that property is completed, the valuer will go in and value that property. And what they're going to do is value it against other similar properties available in the same area, which is what I did and was able to ascertain a $200,000 difference. Now, because of the legal team that we work with, we were actually able to get him out of that contract without the loss of a significant deposit. So he'd only put $10,000 down and he was due to put the remainder of the money down and he would have lost all of the money had he have got out of the contract um, through the proper channels. But our legal team was able to work towards getting him out for $10,000, which was a loss of $10,000, but it saved him from the loss of a $200,000 valuation shortfall for which he had no plan to, he had no other money or resources to pull on had that happened. Mm. That's a shocking story, and I guess it's either bad news or really, really bad news. But you'd much rather the bad news of ten grand in that situation rather than having a two hundred k asset that's got that or two hundred k negative equity from day one. Mm. the The fact that developers um, aren't necessarily real estate agents and don't sell their their stock is not necessarily a bad thing, right? Because their 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 craft is is developing and building property. They engage someone to to sell the property. That's just how it all works, right? But when the people engaged to sell the properties also maybe have a network of financial planners and accountants that are getting commissions in the mix, that's where you really have to be carefully looking at who is benefiting from your purchase, right? Mm, I think it's always un it's always important to understand that when you're a consumer and you're not paying for a service, that the person is a sales consultant who represents the product that they're selling. Mm. 
and therefore there can be a conflict of interest. Therefore, there can be a conflict of interest um, for the salesperson. Um, so like myself, I started in the industry where I would represent developers. However, the company I worked for would represent our service as a service for investors to get advice on investing. Mm. And so I was in a conflicted situation because my job was to ultimately sell a product to the end user. However, the end user thought that we were consultants who were advising them for the best of their best interests. Yeah. So I think it's important to understand, you know, where the money's flowing from and to, and, you know, if you're, if you're receiving advice from, um, a consultant that you understand they're a sales consultant unless of course you've hired an independent um, property advisor or buyer's advocate to represent you. Yeah and you gave some great insights on uh, episode eight of our bonus series how to spot a spruker uh, right uh, because that that is that is a key thing and that's a big part of how the world works and we're used to people like mortgage brokers we tend not to pay them I know there's probably some that you can but it's pretty clear that there's a benefit that uh, comes to them from the banks in putting that deal together but you know there's a lot of laws around disclosing uh, how that works and they should be acting in your best interest but it's always good to think about the incentives right and with you being a buyer's agent people pay you to do the best possible job that you can for them in that other capacity you might you might be giving them advice and it might be great advice but at the end of the day the incentive is is not to get the best result for the actual client it might be a moral incentive but the financial incentive is to get the deal across the line right the Give for Growth Property Investing Podcast is presented by our business, MCG Quantity Surveyors. If you're an investor or a property professional looking to get the best tax depreciation deductions for yourself or your clients, please get in touch with us at mcgqs.com.au. It's our mission to help as many property investors as we can to maximize their claims and maximize their property education as well. Um, yeah, so I'm. I feel really fortunate to be in the situation that I'm in, and this is what I really always wanted for my clients was to be able to sit down and honestly and transparently point out the pros and cons of every decision and empower them to be able to make a really informed decision that's right for them. Most of the time, they take that advice, and it's of no consequence to me which way they go. I always have high hopes for their best interests and for them to do exceptionally well. Um, I want my clients to do well, but at the end of the day, they make independent decisions for them based on all of the information I've um, furnished them with. And I can be completely transparent about the pros and the cons of every decision they're going to make. Mm. And I really like that about my job. And sometimes the best interests of the client makes you having difficult conversations, right? But they're paying for you to give them the best result, not necessarily tell them that where they want to hear. Um, yeah. let's, let's get back to, um, to the developers here. So there is a couple of things that we haven't talked about uh, where – the end product might not necessarily match uh, what you've signed up for or the display suite that you've looked at. I know that developers can alter the the size of the property within a, a margin of about 5%. Sometimes if fixtures and fittings aren't available, they can make similar replacements. Often there's also engineering changes that might uh, need to happen that could 
quite negatively impact what the end product uh, is going to be. What can you tell us about those things? Yeah, you're spot on, Mike. Um, Each of those things can happen and they are written out in the contract that the builder has capacity to do those things. And we have seen instances where um, a, a property has completed and there's a mighty big concrete column that runs directly through a portion of the apartment that was never anticipated, but due to some structural changes, some engineering changes, it had to be added um, through the construction and they're well within their rights to do that. They need to produce a safe product. And um, so that can happen, but it can come as a nasty surprise for um, for purchases and particularly if it does interfere with the view, for example, or it closes in the kitchen a little bit or it intrudes in a space where you would have placed furniture and now you're unable to place furniture as easily. Um, so, yes, that's definitely a consideration. And I guess when you're working, I mean, we're focusing a lot on the higher rise things, which is, as we've discussed, Mm. are a higher risk. If we come back and look at the smaller scale developments, such as, um, you know, a six pack of townhouses or uh, what we refer to in Melbourne as villa units, which are basically single story mini houses um, on a shared block with a shared driveway, um, the, the builder is more inclined to engage the end purchases in their decisions when things need to happen or change within the scope of the work that was originally um, designated. Yeah, because if you're working with eight people, it's very different to working with, say, 200, right? It's just not really feasible to have input from all of them. What about the thing that we hear uh, every now and then in the news is this this huge big revelation, like it's a new thing, but we talk about sunset clauses, right? You never mm. hear about them for a while and then you get, you get a couple of different articles about um, de- developers enacting the sunset clause. What, what do mm. people buying off the plan need to know about those? Yeah, so when you purchase off the plan, um, there is a thing called a sunset clause and a sunset clause is a time period for which the developer will need to commence the project. And in the event they don't commence the project within that period of time, they can actually cancel the contract with the purchaser and refund them the deposit. And so where that becomes an issue is for people who have thought that they have secured a property And particularly if the market is moving upwards and they have put all of their deposit onto a property and then for whatever reason, the developer doesn't complete the property within or commence the property within that sunset clause period, the developer can just turn around and say, well, there's your money back. And the unfortunate thing for purchasers in that situation is that the market will have moved. Mm. And so if that market has moved 10 or 15%, the purchaser has effectively lost 10 or 15% because now they're chasing the market. So if they had, say, if they bought something for, say, 600000 then uh, and there's been a 10% gain, then they're going to need to find the extra money to, um, to pay an increased uh, number than what they had originally paid for. 
Now, if the market turned in the opposite direction, a um, sunset clause may actually work in the favour of the purchaser. However, most people don't move forward with a purchase in the hope that it's going to actually fall over. Mm. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But there's something that people need to know about. All right, Lisa, you've shared some some awesome tips here. But if we could break it down to, let, to let's say, your three best tips for people that are purchasing off the plan, what would they be? The first tip would be to try to purchase something that's on a much smaller scale so that the project timing is going to be a lot smaller and the risks are going to be reduced because of that time frame. The other um, tip that I would suggest is that people purchase through reputable developers who have been around for a really long time, um, whether they be small-scale local developers and builders or um, more well-known um, brands that have been around for a really long time. You can actually see their past projects. You can um, often get an appointment to actually view a product that they have um, built uh, that's just completed or even one that's five years old. If the, the developer's been around for long enough, quite often you can actually go through something. And I think going through a property that's five years old, it's had its... Um, it's had time to age and so you can see how well the product has aged and that includes the materials that they've chosen to use and just the quality of the property and, and how well it's it's um, stood up for the test of time. And the, <clears throat> the third tip would be to try to get something that is already, has already commenced the um, construction phase we, as buyer advocates, we we very, very, very rarely purchase off the plan. There are exceptions to that rule. They're rare exceptions. Um, but one exception would be when a developer is has almost completed a property and we deal mostly, if we're purchasing off the plan, it would be a townhouse or a house on a subdivided block of land or a villa unit. Um, so we can actually walk through the property, the walls are down, up the um, slabs down, the roof's on, we can see the scale of the property and we can also see the finishes if they've got to the stage of the tiling and putting in the kitchen and the bathroom. And at that point in time, we can also make changes such as colour choices or material choices and if the developer is only planning to tile um, three quarters of the way up the up to the ceiling, for example, we can ask them to go uh, to the rest of the way and pay the additional cost to get those premium finishes. Mm. And so I think that um, gives you the benefit of your stamp duty reduction. Um, also being able to, I know a lot of people love the idea of moving into a brand new property no one's ever lived in before. And so I think buying something like that minimizes all of those risks that we've spoken about earlier but also gives you some advantages um, such as the ones I've just mentioned. That's beautiful that's uh, amazing advice I think yeah the smaller scale stuff is always going to be uh, risk mitigating and you know being able to see the past work of a developer is absolutely gold and uh, and yeah if you've got something that's halfway halfway then there I mean the the cost of doing some of those changes uh, after the fact might be a lot more than the developers actually sort of making a variation then and there. That's absolutely I, awesome. I think before we wrap up too, yeah. Mike, it would be important to note that when you're purchasing one of those smaller scale properties, um, such as the townhouses that I mentioned or the villa units or the houses that are built on a subdivided block of land, 
the um, purchase prices are usually always in line with comparable sales already in the marketplace. Um, local builders and developers will usually price them according to the, the, the market conditions at the time. Because they're brand new, there is a slight premium compared to an older property, but usually you can very easily find comparable properties to support the price. And so a valuation shortfall is, um, is, is, is more rare than it is with the um, high-rise developments. Yep. And with an expert on your side helping you that you perhaps are paying for rather than being paid by someone else is a, is a good thing to, to look into as well. Lisa, thanks for sharing your, your tips and your wisdom today. That's that's awesome. And hopefully we've uh, we've armed people with enough knowledge to make sure that they, uh, they aren't running into trouble in the future. Thanks for having me, Mike. It's good to be here. Cheers.